0: Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Probably the question I get asked most often as a pastor, or something along these lines, why is this happening to me? For a few weeks now, we have been studying a book in the New Testament, 1 Peter. It occurs near the end of the New Testament. It's written by Peter to discouraged believers. He wrote it to encourage those who are in pain, who are hurting, who are suffering, who are struggling. When we studied the opening verses of this book, we read this from Peter, I know you're going through a few trials right now. And remarked when we first hit on this, what an understatement of the century that was when Peter wrote this. Christians in that time were being fed to the lions and burned at the stake. When the Roman Emperor Nero wanted to make room for his palace in Rome, he burned a part of Rome and blamed it on the Christians. Christians were tortured, imprisoned, thrown into the Colosseum and torn apart by wild animals. So Peter is going to talk to us this morning about how to handle in life, maybe even to begin to get at that question, why is this happening to me? It seems to me that there are three kinds of suffering that we experience in life, and any one of these three, maybe sometimes more than one at a time, can be occurring in your life. Now, we could spend an entire sermon and perhaps more on each of these three, but I want to list them out, and then we'll spend time on the one that Peter wants to talk about today. So, first of all, there is that that we'll call common suffering. It's the suffering that occurs just because you're a human being. Things go wrong. We live in a fallen world. Our bodies wear out. Living life in this world as a human being will bring suffering. A second area of what we experience suffering from is what I'll call carnal suffering. That is suffering that we bring on ourselves. So I bring suffering on myself by the choices I make, by the dumb decisions that I make. So that's suffering that occurs because I've brought it on myself. And the third category is that that Peter wants to talk more about today is Christian suffering. This is when you suffer for doing good, when you suffer for being a believer, when you suffer for doing the right thing. You know, Jesus is the best example of this. Did He suffer for doing the wrong thing or for doing the right thing? Of course, He suffered for doing the right thing. Well, in 1 Peter chapter 4, where we are landing today as we've been walking through this letter, Peter is going to share with us four things you need to do when you suffer as a Christian, when you suffer for your faith, when you are harassed because you're a believer, whether that's from work, school, your neighborhood, family members who don't get it, or you're being ridiculed for your faith because there are certain things that other people simply are not going to like about you. We're going to hear this from Peter, the fourth chapter of his first letter, beginning at verse 12. Dear friends, If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And? If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. So number one, when it comes to suffering for your faith, Peter says, first of all, realize that it is bound to happen. If you are living for Jesus Christ and you're putting that out there, Suffering for his sake is bound to happen. Here's how he put it in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He says, don't be upset when this happens, when people put you down, when people challenge your faith. He says, don't be frightened. Don't be shook up. Don't be caught off guard. Be prepared. Be prepared. If you're a believer, there are parts of your life that other people are simply not going to like. Jesus Himself was realistic about this when He cautioned you and me, His believers, to count the cost of commitment to Him. He said, and you can find this all throughout Matthew chapter 10 as well as other places in the Gospels. If you're going to follow me, count the cost first. It's not always a bed of roses being a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you follow me, there will be people who are upset with you, who won't approve of it, who don't like it. You see, we forget that sometimes we're in a spiritual battle. The moment we say yes to God, I'm on God's side, then we become an enemy of the evil one. He would like nothing more than to hurt God, but he can't. So what's the next best thing? It goes after believers. It goes after you because you believe in Jesus Christ. The second thing to consider when you're suffering for your faith is to rejoice in it when it happens. Peter says, realize first of all, okay, If you're living out the Christian life, if you're out there living it in public, suffering is bound to happen. But then he says, secondly, he comes on the heels of that and says, rejoice when it does. Again, verse 13, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Notice the key word here is rejoice. It doesn't say, enjoy it when you're put down for your faith in Jesus, it says rejoice. There's a big difference. Enjoyment means you get pleasure out of something. Rejoicing means you choose to see a positive outlook in spite of it. God doesn't say, enjoy persecution. Instead, He says, rejoice. There's a difference, and it's a choice that you choose. You choose. To rejoice. So, why should I rejoice? If that question goes, okay, why should I rejoice that I'm suffering on account that I bear the name of Jesus Christ? Peter's going to give us three reasons why we should rejoice. Number one is because suffering draws me closer to Christ. We just read that in verse 13. Rejoice in as much as you participate in Christ's sufferings. Another translation translations will, will say, as you share in Christ's sufferings. The Greek word for that is koinonia, which translates in English to fellowship. Fellowship speaks of an up-close and personal relationship. So this is about closeness and intimacy. What Peter is saying is, when you suffer for Jesus' name, you have fellowship with Christ. It draws you closer to Him. I mean, think about it. When you go through suffering with someone, it bonds you together with that person. Ask any war veteran. The suffering they went through bonds them together. Or when you as a family or community goes through a disaster, it draws you closer together. Peter says, when you suffer for doing the right thing, it draws you closer to Christ. A second reason for rejoicing when we're suffering for Christ is that it means God can be seen in my life. When you're having a tough time on account of Jesus, that means God can be seen in your life. Verse 14 If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, Peter says, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So, why can I rejoice? when people put me down for my faith and challenge me on my beliefs because here's what it means congratulations somebody sees something different about you obviously they've noted the difference if you're challenged by your faith they're seeing that what if you're not What if you're not challenged by your faith? What does that say about your faith? Maybe it's not on display. But when people put you down and they harass you for your faith, Peter is saying, congratulations. It means you're a person of integrity. You're a person of character. You're a person that has convictions. It means you stand for something rather than fall for anything. And the third reason to rejoice for the suffering of Jesus Christ is that it means God can trust you. When you're harassed for your faith, it means God can trust you. Peter and the rest of the disciples were literally beat up for their beliefs. And it happens all around the world. Thousands of believers are jailed, even killed every year for their faith. In some countries, you can be hanged or brought before a firing squad just for belief in Jesus Christ. Now, no one is going to do that to you in America. And I often wonder how much then can God trust American Christians? I mean, we want Jesus, but so often we want Jesus only when it's comfortable and convenient. But if Christianity were outlawed, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Do people know what you believe? Why did God allow Job to lose everything that he had because God knew he could trust Job. Why did God allow three young Hebrew men to go through a fiery furnace? Because God knew he could trust them. Can God trust you? What does your faith cost you? Does it cost you anything? So when it comes to suffering, Peter says, number one, know that it's bound to happen to you. Number two, rejoice when it does. The third thing we need to do when we suffer as a Christian, Peter says, is you need to know you don't have to be ashamed. In fact, he would say, refuse to be ashamed. Here again, verse 16. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. When you're put down for your faith, do not be ashamed. Don't be intimidated by the cynics and the critics. Don't run from situations that put your faith on trial. People are watching you. We've talked about this before. People are watching to see if what you claim as a believer makes any difference. They want to know if your faith is genuine. Does your walk match your talk? Do what you say you believe come true for you? all the more reason to be challenged by Peter's counsel to not be ashamed. And notice, he he said, if you suffer as a Christian. Now, he's not talking about suffering because you're obnoxious about your faith. Some people are odd, they're strange, and they'll do crazy things and say, well, I'm suffering because of Jesus. No, don't blame God for your personal hang-ups. Here's the full verse. However, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Peter says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't count it as a disgrace. Instead, praise God that you bear the name of Jesus Christ. I know you people. You're good people. And I know an awful lot of good Christians who would not think of doing certain wrong things, but they are ashamed to say they do the right things depending upon the crowd, especially if it's a crowd of unbelievers. It's Christian men sitting around other men who are bragging about how they disregard their family or their spouse, and the Christians stay silent because they don't want to admit that they're trying to do the right thing, and they're trying to be faithful to their, their wife as if something to be embarrassed about. There are Christian young people who would never think about doing drugs, but they're afraid to admit that to their friends. There are single people who have remained sexually pure and embarrassed to say that they are virgins, as if that's something to be ashamed of. You see how upside down and turned around we have our values. Peter's saying it's not a matter of just doing bad things, it also means doing good things, being proud of that in a good way being honest and admitting that you're not embarrassed. He's saying, don't be embarrassed by your faith. Don't be embarrassed by your values. Stand firm. The problem really for us is the fear of rejection. We're afraid of what other people will think of us. So what's the antidote? The antidote for the fear of rejection is to think more about what God thinks of you than what other people think of you. That's actually a mark of spiritual maturity. When you consider what God thinks of you more than what other people think of you, therefore you have something that's going to last. You see, if, if somebody doesn't like you, if somebody puts you down for your faith, that's small potatoes. That's not going to last. That's not a legacy but the reward for standing up for your faith is going to last into eternity. So Peter's telling us, keep the long perspective. You don't have to be popular with everyone right now, but you can reap the rewards for eternity. No one is going to kill you in America for your faith. Well, I guess there are some rare exceptions. But do you ever find anyone challenging your beliefs? Or... Are you so wishy-washy? No one knows what you believe. No one knows your values. No one knows where you stand on anything. You are so afraid that somebody might look at you funny. Peter says then we're caring about the wrong thing. Instead of caring about what God thinks and caring about the reward you're going to receive in heaven for doing the right thing in spite of the fact that it's not the most popular thing. The Apostle Paul writes this to the Romans, since we are His children, if we share Christ's sufferings, we will also share His glory. That means when we get to heaven, God is not going to look to see how much we had in our bank account. He's not going to look to see how many trophies were on your shelf, how many awards and plaques hung on your wall. He's going to want to know. Where are the scars? Did your faith cost you anything? And this leads us to the fourth and final thing you need to do when you suffer as a Christian. Peter counsels us to remain faithful to God. Verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There is a certain brand of Christianity out there that says God wants every believer to have perfect health so they can spend the millions He's just waiting to give them. And you should have every prayer answered, and you should always get whatever you want and never have any problems. And if you do have problems, they say, then you don't have enough faith. There's a spiritual term for that, baloney. And it's obviously people who have never read the New Testament. If God answered every prayer I made, gave me everything I wanted, made sure I never had a problem, I'd be a spoiled brat even more. God is not interested in raising spoiled brats. He's interested in building character and integrity. He's interested in believers who will trust in Him and remain faithful even when the heat's on. So as we close out, here's your homework. I think, well, the kids haven't been in school for three months. Well, neither have you, so here's your homework. During this next week, ask yourself these questions. Do people notice Christ in my life Do the people I'm around all the time know where I stand? Have I shared the good news of Jesus with them? We've got the greatest news in the world. And believe me, most people in the world are more ready to hear the good news of Jesus than we are ready to share it. In answering these questions... You'll recognize where you're falling short, admit those failings, and if you'll do this, if you'll reflect on the questions and you'll you'll ask God to help you through where you've fallen short, come next week, you'll be ready to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in a whole new way. Now, what if you're sitting there or you're watching this online and you say, well, what if I don't know him? Then I want you to know that God wants to have a relationship with you. And that's a relationship based on love. Not based on a whole set of do's and don'ts and a checklist and, and here's how much you've got to read and 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 love and earn and pay out. And God wants a loving relationship with you. What stops that is sin in our lives. That's why we don't go full bore into what God wants to give us. We can't 100%. Sin is in the way. And there's nothing we can do to bridge that gap. No amount of religion, morality, doing good, works, philosophy, no matter what you try to focus on, we'll never attain holiness to the level of God on our own. God wants us in a relationship, so God did something about it. He got off the throne. That's when He came in Jesus Christ. And He lived a life that we could not live, a perfect, sinless life. And He died the death that we should have died in our place for our sins so that we can have freedom from our past, from our guilt, from the shame And we can live into a future forgiven and freed. And all you have to do to step into that is ask it. You may even say, God, I I don't know all there is to know about you. Good news. Neither does anybody else living. We don't know all there is to know about God. But do you know that he died for your sins in Jesus Christ and he rose from the grave? And you say, God, I want you. I want you in my life. I want to give you my life. From that moment on, you're in the forever family. He's pursuing you. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.